So today's reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, starting on page 3 of the Church Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning third day. And God said, let there be light in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the seas and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. 
and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each one according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. We'll just pray for Catherine and for ourselves. Lord God, we thank you for your living word. And we ask that as Catherine speaks, as we listen, we will encounter you. So Lord, move in our hearts, in our minds, in our wills and bring light into dark places. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Hello. 
So we're starting a new series today looking at the big picture of the Bible. And we have to start with this. In the beginning, God. God exists before, outside and independently of all his creation. His authority is above and over all he creates. Nothing is before him. Nothing is above him. The first page of the Bible can easily be overlooked to something that we learnt in Sunday school, yet it is the basis for so much of the rest of the Bible. It is incredibly sophisticated in its structure and intentions. In the summer, we looked briefly at imagery and metaphor in the Bible, and it would be helpful to touch on this again, as almost every metaphor in the Bible has its roots in Genesis. All of the authors and early readers of the Hebrew Bible would have been immersed in Genesis from a young age and would have been entirely aware of the symbolism. So just a few examples from this morning's reading. The image of the deep, the abyss. Chaotic waters are used throughout the Bible to signify threat or danger, hardship or enemies. This is seen particularly in the Psalms and links directly back to Genesis 1. But in the New Testament, there are tumultuous waters too. During the storm, Jesus does not separate nor still the waters, but with full authority over creation, he walks across the chaotic waters and he reaches his hand to Peter. He reaches his hand to all of us. It is an encouraging image for those of us who feel in a state of chaos, darkness or disorder. The spirit of God hovering over the waters. The verb horror, hover sorry, evokes a bird-like image and it's only found in one other place in the Bible. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's used to describe God hovering like a mother bird, stirring up its nest, guarding and preparing the young for flight. The account of Jesus' baptism in Matthew's Gospel is likely to be intentionally connecting back to the account in Genesis. And what a connection there is. The spirit hovering in anticipation and promise of, new crea of the creation. And again, in anticipation and promise of new creation in Jesus. Separation of waters and creation of dry land are also seen during the Exodus account. And mountains and high land represents God's provision of safety and refuge throughout the Bible. Regularly throughout the Psalms. But there are also many references to mountains in the Gospels. Particularly in Matthew where Jesus is often found up a mountain during key events. The garden in Genesis, 
is represented with the building of the tabernacle and the temple, created as micro-Edens, with the priests mirroring the role of the first humans. The temple is adorned with images of trees, flowers, fruit and vegetables, the golden lampstand made to look like a tree. Garden imagery is often used as a promise of God's restoration and many significant events occur within gardens in the Gospels. Trees are a repeating frequent pattern in the Bible, often intentionally mentioned at significant points. Many of the words that God speaks in Genesis appears later in the Bible. In Egypt, while in slavery, the tribes of Israel were fruitful and increased in number, preceding the Exodus. And this is also essentially what Jesus said in the Great Commission when he said to go and make disciples of all nations. The whole structure of creation in Genesis demonstrates God creating order and beauty out of chaos and darkness. However, creation almost reverses for the Egyptians during the Exodus, moving back into disorder and chaos. There are teeming frogs, dead fish, crops which are destroyed, fruit on trees which are destroyed, darkness a watery end. Try reading Genesis 1 alongside Exodus 7 to 14 to see just how opposing these accounts are. I could go on, but I hope that gives us a taste of the richness of considering some of the later stories of the Bible with the account of creation as a backdrop. Genesis 1, though, is far more than just imagery. To my mind, in keeping with the Bible as a whole, it is about relationship. Regionally, to the Israelites, the ancient Babylonians told that creation of humans occurred when blood of a god was mixed with soil to make humans to slave and provide for the gods. But in Genesis 1, humanity is created in the image of God to work and rule with him. In biblical times, it was common for those in authority to claim to be the image of God on earth. Idols made of stone or metal or wood were felt to embody the gods here on earth or to be the image of God. Images that were worthless. Throughout the Bible, God makes it clear that his people are not to create idols or images of him. But God has already made images of himself. Images that are full of worth. And he gives them all authority to rule over his good creation and subdue it. It was a role that did not belong just to a few elite, but it was a role that God gave to all of mankind. We are designed to be royal co-workers with God. We represent him in cultivating 
tending, caring for, and moving his creation forward. The implications are apparent in how we care for and steward our world, the environment, the creatures, and the people within it. Before anything else, you are created in the image of God. But above anything else, you are made for rest in God. But on the seventh day, God stopped Shabbat and he rested. The symbolism of the seventh day goes way beyond anything else within the creation account. The number seven is used over 700 times in the Bible. Joshua marches around Jericho seven times. Elisha sends Naaman to cleanse himself seven times. God saw that it was good seven times. The Israelites have been given seven feast days with special references to every seven years and every seven times seven years. It all links back to the seventh day ideal in Genesis. In fact, for the nerds among us, which I am now one, if you were to read the first sentence of Genesis in Hebrew, which is up here on the screen, I'm not going to try and read in Hebrew, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, it has seven words. Coincidence? Perhaps. But having seven words gave the opportunity for symmetry. And the central word in the sentence is the word et, which consists of two letters. They are the first and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the end of the Bible, contained in the first line of the Bible. Seven is important because it is the symbol of completeness. In Hebrew, the words seven and wholeness, fullness or completeness, have similar sources and letters and are intentionally making a theological point. God shabbats, he stops or ceases from what he is doing and he fills the world with his presence. God living with his people in a blessed and an abundant ideal, heaven and earth fully combined. Unlike every other day in creation, the seventh day has no beginning or ending, no evening or morning. It is not contained by time. The plan was for God and his image to live in a never-ending seventh-day rest. And although things don't quite go to plan, the Sabbath remains fundamental to the Bible and the story of God's people. Before the references in Exodus and Deuteronomy to the Ten Commandments, in Genesis, the Sabbath is set in motion offering a rhythm and a pattern for living life in God's presence, a pattern much bigger than any of the practices we may observe. One of the most thought-provoking descriptions I've heard is this, that the Sabbath is to time what a cathedral is to space. 
The Sabbath is to time what a cathedral is to space. It is a meeting place between God and his creation. And yes, the Sabbath reminds, of, reminds us of God as creator and as liberator from slavery as stated in the law. But it encourages us to recognize God's authority, that we are not masters of our own time, to remember to whom we belong and to whom everything belongs, a time to celebrate God's love, to share meals and gifts with one another, to move towards recreation, recreation of the ideal of Eden. Intentionally inconvenient to make us trust God for his provision. But also to recognize that we exist as a gift from God. And although we are designed to do, we are not defined by what we do. Because before anything else, you are made in the image of God. And above anything else, you are made for rest in God. I'm going to finish with a video recently released by the Bible Project, which thinks a little more about the Sabbath and a little more about what the Sabbath means to the big picture. 